So there's a word in Hebrew, which is very simple. It's the letters B and then O, which is pronounced Bo. And it means go. It also means come. It means to come to pass. It means to lead into something. And so the reading for today, which is found, it's dark in here so you won't see it now, but later on when you go home in your announcements, it's on the front. On the bottom it says, Bo, come, and then it tells you Exodus 10 through 13, 16, and Jeremiah 46, and, and the New Covenant reading is Romans 9, 14 through 20. I'm going to speak on the Torah portion tonight, and the Torah portion is called Bo. And we learn, the, we get the name of each Torah portion, each portion read each week, from the important word in the first sentence. So if you look at Exodus 10, 1 and 2, you will see, Then Adonai said to Moses, Go. And that's why this portion is called Bo. Because it's go to Pharaoh. Because I've hardened his heart and the heart of his servants so that I might show these my signs in their midst. And so you may tell your son and your grandchildren what I have done in Egypt as well as my signs that I did among them so you may know that I am Adonai, Adonai meaning the Lord. So it's an interesting portion. Uh, it talks about the last three um, plagues in Egypt. And um, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's similar as, as uh, we see that uh, as many people wonder about stories in Scripture, I worry about, I, I, I look at this Scripture and I try and understand how the people were feeling. Because, you know, in our day today, feeling seems to be extremely important. In fact, sometimes it overrides everything else, facts and everything else. And so Moses had three plagues left. And I was wondering, because Scripture really doesn't talk about it, was he happy? Was he sad? Was he excited? Was he filled with faith? Or was it something else? What was his feeling? And how do you think the people of Israel were feeling? They were slaves for all 400 years, their families from generation to generation. And now Moses comes and, and, and are they feeling uh, happy, sad, excited, filled with faith or whatever? So I'd like to review some of the scriptures that lead up to this reading and see if we can figure out a little bit about these two, Moses and Israel. And we see in Exodus 4.29, 
It says, Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of Bnei Yisrael. Aaron spoke all the words that Adonai had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And this is when they had just gotten to Egypt. And so it says then that so the people believed. And when they heard that Adonai had remembered Bnei Yisrael, or the children of Israel, and had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads in worship. So the first meeting sounds like it was pretty positive when Moses came back to Egypt. And the people worshipped the Lord. I don't know if they had worshipped in those 400 years. I don't know what their faith level was. I'm not sure of any of that. And the first discussion then, so Moses goes off and, and, and he and Aaron speak to Pharaoh. It didn't go very well. And Pharaoh said, now, since you want to take the people, um, we're going to, you're, you, the people obviously are lazy. They don't want to work all the time. So we're going to make it harder for them. We're going to take away the straw. They're going to have to find their own straw. And we'll give them the same number of bricks per day that they have to make. Well, the reaction of the people of Israel, and especially this is more the foremen of Israel or the leaders, in Exodus 5.21 it says, So they said to them, uh, meaning Moses and uh, Aaron, may Adonai look on you and judge, because you have made us a stench in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants, putting a sword in their hand to kill us. I would say the people were not happy. Right? And so we see the next verse in Exodus 5.22, so Moses returned to Adonai and said, Adonai, Lord, why have you brought evil on these people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought evil on these people. You have not delivered your people at all. Moses was a little frustrated as well. I mean, you can't blame him because they were frustrated with him. And so they're all frustrated at this point. God answers, and he says, now you will see what I'm about to do. And then God gives a lot of encouraging words to Moses, uh, who spoke them to the people of Israel. But in chapter 6 of Exodus, verse 9, it says, Moses spoke this way to Bnei Yisrael, these encouraging words from the Lord, but they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and cruel bondage. So in other words, it just took a moment, so to speak, and they were back in bondage. They did not think freedom was possible. They were just depressed. And now things were even harder. And so we see in Exodus 6.12, Moses said to Adonai, B'nai Yisrael has not listened to me. So how would Pharaoh listen to me? I who have uncircumcised lips. So Moses' confidence was not really that high. 
and because obviously the people were upset with him. And once again in Exodus 6, verse 30, Moses said to Adonai, I am of uncircumcised lips, so how would Pharaoh listen to me? So it's a repeat. And God lays out a plan to Moses, and finally in Exodus 7, verse 6, Moses and Aaron went on their way to speak to Pharaoh. This is the last time we hear of the feelings that Moses had or the people's feelings while they were in Egypt. So that's all we know in terms of their feelings. And from then on, Moses spoke confidently to Pharaoh for ten plagues, not questioning God anymore. God had kept Moses informed in everything God said, and, and, and Moses heard him, and it all came to pass. And Exodus 12:21, as we skip some chapters, Moses called the elders of Israel and spoke to them about their needed preparation for this last and final plague, the tenth plague, which was the death of the firstborn. And in verse 27, it says, the people bowed their heads and worshipped. In verse 28, it says that the children of Israel, B'nai Yisrael, went and did it, including in verse 35, they went and asked the Egyptians, because Moses said they should, which was actually prophesied in Genesis, but Moses told them to ask the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and clothing. Now the people were listening to Moses again as he recounted what God had told them. What changed? What changed in Moses and what changed in the people? Well, the way I see it simply, in Moses, he met with God daily. And he was in the presence of God daily. And so he recognized God's voice. And so he heard God's voice, and daily he was obedient to follow God's desires. And then he saw God work in miraculous ways through these ten plagues. From this point on, Moses had an amazingly strong relationship with God. He made some mistakes, but he was faithful and resolved to the end. The people of Israel, on the other hand, had a slave mentality. Now, a slave mentality means when things are going bad, you're depressed. And when things look hopeful, you feel better. But slaves generally are feeling terrible because things are always bad. And they were ready for change, but as soon as it got harder, they lost their faith. They lost their faith in God. They lost their faith in Moses. The very things that we see in Moses' life, we do not see in the people of Israel. They didn't meet with God they didn't hear his voice, and they didn't desire necessarily to do his will. 
And interesting enough, that actually continued through 40 years in the desert. There were times where they said, we will do it, but those things, they lasted very short times. Because as soon as something hard came up, they were gone from God, gone from Moses. They rebelled. They did all those things. I mean, we, it's just incredible. Here's the people of God turning away from God. Kind of reminds me of believers today. Believers not fully invested in their faith. Just half-hearted. Willing to step in when things are good and run away when things get hard. Now, Israel did see the miraculous nine plagues, so when it came time for the tenth plague, they said, we better believe Moses. And so they... But imagine their surprise when they went to the Egyptians and asked for the gold and silver and they got it. Imagine their surprise when they actually started to leave Israel. I'm sorry, Egypt. They, they left Egypt or Goshen. But they left the land and, and picture, just picture for a moment the exhilaration of families and, and parents with their kids and their, you know, fathers with their uh, husbands, with their wives. And, and they are, for the first time in their lifetime and in generations before, this is the first time they have an opportunity to be free. And they are hopeful for this land that, that they've heard about that God is prepared for them. And as soon as the Egyptian army, a little later on in Scripture, comes to, to bring them back to Egypt or, or kill them, they lost hope and faith. So what can we learn from this? Well, I think we can understand that when we leave slavery and bondage, we might have a better situation, but when storms of life come, we go back to the slavery and the bondage. Their slavery, their slavery now was an emotional slavery. And that's what happens oftentimes to believers. Especially when they haven't developed the habits of being in the presence of God. So when we do have habits that we are trying to get rid of, and they may be uh, dependency on drugs or alcohol or sex, or work, or fun. And, and yes, work can be an addiction. Playing and have fun can be an addiction and can put people into slavery. 
So as we now look again at the Hebrew word bo, where we know that it means go, when we usually think of the word go, it means to go somewhere. You know, we're on a mission. And that can be good, but the other definition of bo is to come. And Moses was invited by God, come into the presence of of, into my presence. When God first was seen and, under, and understood by Moses, it was the burning bush. And it was an invitation by God to Moses, come, come into my presence. Which is why he had to take his shoes off. He was coming into the presence. And Moses said yes. Now, he didn't say yes immediately. I mean, he was there, but he was wanting to leave. And he knew he was the wrong person for the job. And it took a long time, even in Egypt, until roughly the, the first or second plague where he was really beginning to understand that God was, in fact, with him. And he had all sorts of anxieties. But at the same point, he must have decided at some point that it is better to be in the presence of God than to be just doing his own thing. And there's so much in Scripture that either demonstrates or directs us to coming into God's presence. Coming out of Egypt, and by the way, oftentimes in, in Scripture, Egypt is symbolizing sin. So when I say coming out of Egypt, I'm talking about physical Egypt, but I'm also talking about coming out of sin. The Israelites knew who God was. They knew God, but they didn't know God in a personal way and didn't spend time in his presence. In fact, they always had somebody else representing them to go to God because they were too scared, which is why Moses was up the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, because the people were too scared. And the thing is that when we read, when you and I read Scripture, we look at all the conversations between God and man. There was Abraham, David, Daniel. Those three stand out to me. There are, look, many more, but those three stand out to me. And they practiced the presence of God. When Daniel prayed three times towards Jerusalem, he was practicing being in the presence of God. Even Yeshua did it. He would slip away at nights to be alone and pray all night long, practicing being in the presence of God. And we also see Yeshua teaching on prayer, and we even have his words on prayer, so that if we wanted to get into that same mode, we had examples and we had direction. We, we, we have everything we need 
to understand somewhat how to get into the presence of God. The thing that nobody can do for us, as Jillian pointed out about this week, is to make time. That we have to do for ourselves. We have to set aside time to be with God. Not just the kind of prayer time where we are making a difficult decision. You know, we're in the heat of it. Oh, Lord, help me! That, that's, that's good. It's always good to call on God. But that's not what I'm talking about. The time of being in his presence. It's great to pray in the car. And maybe God's presence is in the car. But I wouldn't necessarily recommend it as your primary time to be with God. Um, unless you start out by saying, please keep me from accidents. Because if you get too involved with the Lord, you won't know where you're driving. We are to acknowledge God. We, need, we are to believe in God and trust in him. And prayer is the result of that belief and that trust. It is very hard to pray if you don't believe and trust God. In fact, why pray at all then? We come into his presence when we pray. We also come into his presence when we worship, like what we just did with Jillian, where we sing or we, we, we listen and, and the words and the music just bring us into a different place, a new place. And it's almost as if when we do this, God is saying to you, come. And you have to figure out whether the distractions, also that Jillian mentioned, the distractions are going to take you away from coming. In fact, when we say bow, we say come, come. And, and we need to come. We also can get into God's presence through reading his word. That's sort of a different message that I'm really talking about this evening. But certainly that is an important part also of coming into God's presence. But back to prayer and worship. For it to be effective, you must carve out time with God where you're not rushed, where you allow, as we sang that last song, shalom, peace, that's what we need to have as we come into God's presence and rest in his presence. So you need to do this, whether it's at home or in services, either is fine. Some place where you have time, where you can do this. Take advantage of every opportunity to be in God's presence.
as he says to you each day, come. Now, oftentimes we're not familiar with the scriptures or we don't think of them in terms of the word come. And we can think of one or two scriptures where God says come. But honestly, I had to start eliminating scriptures when I made my list because there were too many to go over tonight. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to end this message with you reading with me scripture so that you can get it into your spirit that this is something God desires. He wants you to come. So let's read together. We'll start with Isaiah 55 and just read with me. Everyone who thirsts, come to the water. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that your soul may live. I will have an everlasting covenant with you, the trustworthy, loyal to David. Uh, Isaiah 55, 6. Seek Adonai while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Probably this is the scripture that you think of when you think of come. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, as we read these, notice that even when it's not come, it's, there is always an active part of doing this. So in that last verse, it says, take my yoke. That's like coming, because you have to come and take. So th there is action. And what I'm trying to tell you is coming into God's presence depends on us. God is not going anywhere. It's... Up to us to get into his presence. John 7, 37 and 38. On the last and greatest day of the feast, read with me, Yeshua stood up and cried out loudly, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Psalm 62.9, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart in his presence. God is our refuge. I mean, that's a scripture you can close your eyes and picture what that means so that you get it deep within you. Psalm 140.14, surely the righteous ones will praise your name. The upright will dwell in your presence. Psalm 16.11, you make known to me the path of life, abundance of joys, are in your presence, eternal pleasures at your right hand. Revelation 22.17, the Ruach and the Bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes freely take the water of life. Luke 6, 46 through 48. Why do you call me master, master, 
and do not do what I say. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood came, the torrent burst against that house but could not shake it because it had been built well built. And, and so here we see the importance of, of coming and, and building that foundation so that when the storms of life come, and you and I all know the storms will come. There is no doubt about it. None of us will go through life and not see storms. But look what we are promised when we come into God's presence and build the foundation on the rock, which is Yeshua. When a flood came, the torrent burst against that house. You can just see it. But the house wouldn't even shake because it had been well built. And that's got to be us. That's got to be us. This is the benefit of daily coming into the presence of God. John 5, 39 through 41. You search the scriptures because you suppose that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, Yeshua. Yet you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. And I believe that this is really talking to believers as much as it is talking to non-believers. That, that people are resistant to spending time with God and coming into his presence. We have to break that resistance so that you can have life and have it abundantly. John 6.35, Yeshua said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Exodus 33.15, but then he said to him, if your presence does not go with me, don't let us go up from here. See, Moses understood the importance of the presence of God. He said, I don't want to go anywhere where your presence isn't there. Psalm 89, 16 and 17. Blessed are the people who know the joyful shout. They walk in the light of your presence, Adonai. They rejoice in your name all day, and by your righteousness they are exalted. You see, when you spend time in the morning uh, in God's presence, your day is different. Even if it's in a storm, it's different. So James 4.8 says, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. In other words, being in God's Presence depends on you and me. So whether you see it as going into his presence because you are obeying God's word or coming into his presence because you know you need daily fellowship and guidance from God, begin 
begin. Don't worry that you didn't do it yesterday. Don't worry that you didn't do it today. Begin tomorrow. Begin tonight. Maybe you've already begun tonight here at service. To quote a song, in your presence, that's where I belong. Let's pray. Father, your word says, Yeshua said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I pray right now in the name of Yeshua that we come daily to the Father through Yeshua by being in the presence of the Lord. And that the power of your Spirit will come upon us and anoint us so that we will have the peace that passes all understanding. We will have the shalom we sang about. Lord, pour out your spirit, not only in this sanctuary, but on Facebook Live, so that people will know that being in your presence, though it is not a requirement, it is a requirement if you want to have the strength and the peace and everything that Yeshua promises We've got to do it by coming into His presence. It's not a requirement for salvation, but it's a requirement for life. So yes, if you're saved, you have eternal life. Wonderful. But your life here has to amount to more. And when we spend time in His presence on a daily basis, no matter how busy we are, Lord, I pray that you will convict us and strengthen our quiet time and let it be a time where we magnify and glorify you. If there is anybody here or on Facebook Live that doesn't know Yeshua as their Messiah, this is the way. He says he's the way you get to the Father. It's only through him. So I'd ask you to say, I believe in Yeshua. Yeshua, come into my life. May my life be dedicated to you. That's all. If you mean it in your heart, God welcomes you into the family of believers. And we welcome you. And please let us know so that we can continue to bless you with resources. So, Father, I just pray once again in the name of Yeshua. Touch us as we close this service with a song. Let this song now be a worship that goes deeper than before, than, that goes broader than before, that, that, it, that it touches the very depths of our spirit so that when we leave here this evening, we leave with the peace of God that passes all understanding. I pray this in the name of